Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. And when, when you hit your teenage years or even before, it wasn't unheard of for uh, if you were kind of stretching your wings a little too far for your dad to call the chief of police and say, hey, the next time you see him speeding coming down Main Street, would you pick him up and just take him to jail? Just take him to jail. Don't lock him. You know, take him, scare him really good, scare him really good, and, uh, and I'll come and get him. And just try to say, this is where you're headed if you don't straighten up. That's kind of the negative side of it, isn't it? Or maybe you've got a big brother or someone that's really excelled. That's the worst motivation in the world, isn't it? Just look at your brother. You know, that kind of thing doesn't seem to work many times. But uh, some of you know my story, know that uh, I had a, a band teacher in my life for 18, 19. Well, he was in my life for like 30 years, 40 years, but uh, from the age of six until I was 19, he was like a second father to me. When I was 13 years old, he took me to Pittsburgh and uh, to Duquesne University because he was pushing me to be a professional musician and pushing me. And, and so he took me to Duquesne University and he set me down in the second row of this auditorium and this music started playing from these four people on the stage. Go ahead and play that. See if you recognize this. Anybody recognize it yet? Yeah, I played the saxophone, so he's putting me right down in the middle. Front of this band, this guy, Paul Desmond, playing the sax, Dave Brubeck playing the piano, and these four musicians, and then goes, Timmy, you could be that. That's good, thank you. Motivation, we motivate people all kind of ways. See, that didn't have any effect on me. I don't even remember the names of the players, um, but the, the song, anything about it, obviously, and I st- still love jazz. And, uh, but we've been in a series uh, in the book of Philippians. It's really a letter from a guy named Paul, who's one of the leaders in the early church. And he's writing his favorite church of all time. That is the church in Philippi. He loves this church. He cares for this church deeply. He wants it to be everything that he knows it can be. And uh, so today we're going to see where he throws out the stops as far as a comparison to be able to motivate them to be able to deal with what's going on inside of the church. Because there's something going on, like there always is in every group of more than two or three people when they come together. There's always different dynamics going on. And so evidently, in this church, there was something going on. As much as he loved this church, much as he cared for this group of people, he was concerned with. And he's in jail when he's writing this, probably in Rome or in Ephesus, from preaching the gospel. They have thrown him in jail for that. 
And he is writing to them to say, hey, I love you. I care about you. But here, I want you to take note of this. You can be a lot more than you are right now. And so please move this direction. So that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be over in the second chapter. We're working our way through for, you know, really, I guess six weeks or so. Uh, maybe even eight weeks in the book of Philippians till we finish it right on out. So we're going we're gonna to go right through it. But we're going to be in uh, Philippians 2, verse 5 uh, through 11 this morning. So if you've got your app or you've got your Bible, uh, you want to turn to it, we'll read it, and I'll pray, and we'll jump into this this morning. Thank you for coming out to the early service, too. We appreciate it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Lord we ask for your blessing today on your word. Breathe life on it. Uh, Jesus we want to hear what you wanted to say through Paul to the Philippians. And Holy Spirit we want to hear what you have to say to us as a church this morning. So speak to us. Help me in my weakness. Uh, Give me the gift of teaching for the next few minutes, Lord, and open our ears. Uh, We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and loving us and still speaking to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through one another at times. And so we ask for you to come and speak today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul is going to try and motivate them uh, to... Change their behavior, and right off and right up front, he uses the most ultimate example you could ever throw out. It was a lot better than even Dave Brubeck's quartet. He throws out and puts in the front of them Jesus Christ, and he begins to describe to them who Jesus is and appealing to them. After all, this group of people would not even be together if it wasn't for Jesus. And this is a very eclectic group. I mean, you've got Greeks and Romans and Jews, and you've got Gentiles of various flavors and, and groups, and, and you've got females and males. I mean, the, the, the first members of this church were a group of females, and, and, and so a businesswoman, actually. And so you've got this eclectic group. So imagine, imagine the diversity and imagine maybe the challenges they had, as we know in, in, in life today. If you're going to have a church that reflects the kingdom of God, of what Jesus is doing, it needs to be diverse, doesn't need to be homogenous. It needs to have a, I mean, we need to have the most diversity we can have in this church. We should have all kind of challenges getting along with each other. <laughs> That'd be a beautiful thing because that means we've got so many backgrounds and so many different ways of uh, seeing life and things. And we all come together and then we look in the scripture and we go, this is what God is doing in us and let's see if we can do this together. And that is what Paul is saying to them this morning. He's saying, here's your motivation. Here is your example, Philippian church. This is the way, and your fill-in, which you have in your handout today, if if you are new with us, we always have a fill-in. You can take uh, that out, and you have a pen as well, and you can fill in uh, the fill-in with us. And your first 
Roman numeral one there is that Jesus is our example of how to think. And so he appeals to the Philippian church right off the bat. He's like, listen, get the mind of Christ. Look at things the way that Jesus looked in your relationships, verse 5, with one another. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's a lofty goal, isn't it? I mean, when we have disagreements or when we're trying to build a team or we're trying to do something together and we have differences of opinions, it's always healthy to remind ourselves that we want to think at least along the same lines that Jesus does about this. Because if we can have the same mindset, then we can get along and do it. Even if we have various ways of doing it, we can submit our opinions to Christ and go, okay, what would you do here, Lord? And how do we do this? And so right off the bat, he says, you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's one of the ways he said, he describes your next villain is this, of uh, the kind of mindset Christ had. And I, I phrased it this way because of how Jesus came to this earth. And your, your fill-in is don't act like God. <laughs> don't act like God, like you're God. Because, listen to verse 6, Jesus was God, right? Was 100% God and 100% man, both. I know it's hard to understand. Theologians have been talking about this for 2,000 years. But uh, look what it says about Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was God, but he was not going to operate out of that godness. He laid it aside. In other words, I could have called the angels when I was on the cross. I could have called the angels to come and do this and do that. I could have annihilated all of the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders like that, but I didn't. I laid that aside, and I came to earth fully human. Though he was still fully God, he didn't actualize it. He didn't use it. There's a term they use, kenosis of emptying. He emptied himself of that. And so we all can get on our God horse every now and then and feel like we're the creators of our own world. And I don't know exactly what was going on in the Philippian church, but I feel like from reading all of this quite a few times that Paul is trying to say, look, even Jesus himself, when he came to earth to give us an example of how to live, did not tap into his godness while he was here on the earth. Though he was, and he could have, and he still was God, and he was 100% man, still he humbled himself. And so he's saying to the Philippians, look, don't get up high and mighty and think that you're God of everything. Even Jesus himself submitted himself to what the Father wanted to do. Now, some theologians will, will say that this section of Scripture we're reading this morning is like a hymn, almost like a song. Uh, I kind of agree with a guy named Gordon Fee. He's real popular in the vineyard, a wonderful theologian. He's written a great commentary on Philippians. But Gordon Fee says that it, to keep it in context, it, it needs to be more illustrative. It, it needs to be more explaining the problem that is mentioned in this church. That Paul is about that, though he's writing theology, he's really writing to the Philippian church. 
He's dealing with an issue and he's dealing with a group of people. And so when you read this beautiful section of theology, it's still a very practical illustration of how the church should behave and how it should treat one another and think. And so the first one is, like I said, don't act like God. Uh, He could have. He could have pulled that card at any time, but Jesus didn't. He went to the cross. He could have stopped that at any moment in time, but he didn't. He could have stopped the torture that he was going through, but he didn't. He submitted himself to it. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? His own advantage. And your next feeling is this. How do we think have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, do act like a servant. Do act like a servant. Look at verse 7. Rather he, meaning Jesus, made himself nothing. There's that emptying out. By taking the very nature. Remember he was a very nature God, it just said. But now it says taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. He willfully took the position of a servant. God did. We think of Jesus. Jesus is God. This is God taking the position of a servant. Willingly coming down. It doesn't get any more humbling than for God himself to come down and wrap himself in this flesh. Put aside his godness for a while and what he could do and all that he could operate. You know, Jesus, when he operated on this earth, he operated under the power of the Holy Spirit, the same one you have in you. You realize that, right? You say, well, how about all the miracles he did, Tim? How about all this? Well, he was just operating like a human being full of the Holy Spirit. Now, sinless one, indeed. But he was operating with the Holy Spirit, the same one that you have in you if you're a follower of Jesus. Same exact one. That is what is so challenging about this and the beauty and the encouragement of this and the example that Jesus left for us. And there is no more, there's not a deeper picture of serving than for God Almighty who existed forever to part of the Trinity that God had to come down to this earth, wrap himself in this frail humanity and go through every temptation, every trial, every bump and bruise that we have to bump and bruise and yet still remain sinless. That, and then go to the cross and be humiliated before all of eternity in that way. There is no more horrible and at the same time beautiful picture of servanthood. Because he was pure, he was holy, he was still God, but he laid it aside in order to come and do this for us. The ultimate in serving. And Paul says, Philippians, we think maybe they've got a little arguing going on. You know, it's little church arguments. Something's going on in the church. And Paul is probably appealing to them to say, listen, look how far Jesus went in order to be your servant. Look how far he laid his life down for you. Don't you think you can do a little bit of that for each other and for him in the church? Don't you think you can lay aside a bit maybe of your own opinions and your own wanting to have my own way, your own God-likeness? Don't you want to lay, can't you just lay it aside just a little bit 
for the unity of this church so we can have a voice to the culture that we're in. Because look what Jesus did. He did this for you. Like I said, there's not a better example, is there? I mean, or a metaphor of someone who laid their life down and who came as a servant for anyone to be lifted up to. And that's the churches gathered around Jesus. There would be no church without Jesus. Matthew 20 in verse uh, 26 through 28, Jesus says to his disciples, this is the New Living Translation, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Gordon Fee, the theologian I mentioned earlier, says it this way from his commentary. Here is the epitome of God-likeness. The pre-existent Christ was not a grasping, selfish being, but one whose love for others found its consummate expression in pouring himself out in taking on the role of a slave, in humbling himself to the point of death on behalf of those he loved. Discipleship in the present calls for servanthood, self-sacrifice for the sake of others. Paul's reminding them that what Christ did and what Christ is calling this church to is the exact opposite of what verse 3 says. Is talking about the selfish ambition that we covered a couple of weeks ago. That Jesus had no selfish ambition but to come and serve the Father and to serve us by giving his life for us. And, um, you know, it takes, your, takes sometimes emptying yourself to serve others, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever bit your tongue so hard you were about to bite it off because you knew if you said what you were about to say, if you, you know... If you emptied yourself that way, it was going to do more damage. And so you emptied yourself of your own godlikeness of speaking it into existence. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold on. And you don't do it. You just, you submit yourself. You submit yourself to God and you serve that moment and you serve that person by emptying yourself of what you would want. Or maybe you've sacrificed for someone else, and they will never, ever know what you did. Never. They won't know the sacrifices that you've, that you've made. No one will ever know. You know. You know the sacrifices, but they will never know. But that's a servant. The servant, servant serves, not so someone can give him accolades, though those are nice to get, believe me. We should get, give them to one another. But he serves because he is a servant. Jesus came to serve. He is Lord too, but he submitted himself and emptied himself at this time on earth to come and serve and act like a servant. C is this. So don't act like a servant. I mean, don't act like God. Do act like a servant. And do, C, humble yourself. Verse 8, do humble yourself. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mentioned this last week that I was sitting in Starbucks and I thought about you cannot be humble by yourself. 
<laughs> I mean, you can sit in your car and go, I'm a humble man. <laughs> you know, but I mean, really, how do you know that? You don't know that until you're in a position of not being humble. You don't know that until you're in a position of having to humble yourself. Right? Until you have the temptation to maybe exert yourself in a situation and instead you humble yourself in it. And so, and plus the minute you think you're humble, probably you aren't. So <laughs> it's like people who are humble don't know they're humble. They just continue to serve and, and they do it with joy. And, and other people look and go, that, that person has such humility. They're such a humble person. And don't mix up humility or being humble with being weak. Jesus was not weak. The strongest man who ever walked this earth. He was not pushed around. He was fully actualized. He did every single thing he should have done. Nobody got him to do anything that he didn't allow himself to do. He was fully, a fully actualized person. So don't equate being humble with being weak. Because this is talking about strength through restraint. You understand that? There is strength in restraint. Knowing when we talk, when we push our opinion, when we don't. And so there's much strength in that, in keeping the reins. Actually, the, the one description in the scriptures has this picture of a, a bit in a horse's mouth and how the reins are pulled back on the horses, you know, to try to slow him down, to keep him from getting out there too far. That we do that with our mouths. We put the bit in our mouth. It's like... And then we pull it back. We humble ourselves. We don't say what, you know, hold it back. And sometimes you do need to speak, but it's under our control. Doesn't mean you don't speak. That's another sermon we'll talk about. When and how to speak. When we need to. But in this church, in this Philippian church, evidently there was some backbiting and there were some things going on. And he says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Look at Jesus. He humbled himself right until death. And the cross, we, think, we don't think much of the cross today. You know, when we get around Easter, you'll hear, uh, you know, all of us talking about the crucifixion and all. But listen, back in this day, when they mentioned the crucifixion, it was the most humiliating thing that could ever happen to anyone. It, it, you were stripped bare. You were beaten and you were put up for the whole world to see and you were left to die. That's what, was, that's what happened to Jesus. You would not have walked into any Christian's home in at least the first two, three hundred years and seen a crucifix on the wall because it, people were ashamed to have them. It was an emblem of that, like the hymn goes, of suffering and shame. No one had pictures no one had tattoos of crosses. No one had crucifix hanging on their ears around their necks. They would never do that. It would be like having an electric chair in your ear or a gas chamber hung around your neck There's, or a beheaded person hanging around your neck or in your ear because that picture of the crucifixion was the most horrendous, humiliating death that anyone during this period of time could suffer. Totally. No one wanted to have anything to do with the emblem of it. So it's a culture switch for us. It's not like Madonna said. She says the cross is sexy because it has a naked man on it. You know, no, it's an emblem of how humble God is to come and die for her, for me, for you. The humility of God to submit himself in flesh to come and do. And Paul is appealing 
You know, the way up is down. Humble yourself. You know, it's a lot better to humble yourself than to be humbled. <laughs> but God loves you enough that he will humble you. So you can learn humility if you're a follower of Jesus. He's going to help us do that. He's going to work in us to help us be humble people. So God, you know, we humble ourselves because that's like Jesus. And your second Roman numeral uh, topic is Jesus is our example of how to be promoted. And we go, well, how do you know, how do we know how God does what he does? Well, look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, that's not going to be us. (laughs) There's only one like that. But look, the way up is down. It's an upside down kingdom. It's the opposite of the world. To move up in the kingdom of God, you move down. If you want to lead, you learn to serve. And then God promotes. And that's your first feeling. God does the exalting. God does the promoting. God does the exalting. Therefore, God exalted. Therefore, God exalted. In the kingdom, it's an upside-down place to live. Paul seems to be saying, listen, Philippian church, I know you want your way, but the way up is down. God does the exalting after he sees the serving and the humility. So get it together. Serve one another and trust God to give you the influence you need. I mean, Jesus in Mark 9, 35 said it. He said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very what? Last and the servant of all. It's a different place to live, this spiritual life, this way of following Jesus. But as Paul's telling this church, he's telling us the way up is down. Serving. And when we do that, when we serve like that, then a lot of the gossiping and the backbiting and things like this, they don't, they don't have a place because you can't talk bad about people that's serving you, you know, and loving you and humbling themselves before you. And as the church does this and submits to Jesus to do what he's called to, the church comes together and there's this beautiful unity and there's this beautiful example to the neighbors and to the community that it lives in. Such a diversity of opinions and such a diversity of people with different backgrounds and practices and all come together but because Jesus is the Lord and Savior. We submit to him and we ask ourselves first and foremost, what would Jesus want from this situation? What would he want from our church? What does he want from our teams when we work together? What does he want? And we submit ourselves to that and we serve him as we serve one another. And it's a beautiful thing when it works right. It's a very beautiful thing. God does the exalting. And B, uh, I love these last two, this last two. There's something special about a name. (laughs) There's something special about a name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Do you know what the sweetest word to your ears is? The sweetest word to your ears is your name. The minute you hear it, the chemicals in your head and your body, just something happens. Do you know the person sitting by you? Won't you mention their name, just their name, just mention their name to them. You can't do anything but smile. Look at that. See? I mean, we do. We love to hear our name. 
it, it means someone's thinking about us. It means that someone's, you know, got our attention. It, it's, it means a lot. And I almost feel like Paul here talking about Jesus, the name where every knee is going to bow one day and every tongue is going to confess. Even those that don't believe now are going to confess it one day. They're going to see that he is who he says he is. One day they'll acknowledge it, hopefully in enough time. But that name, I think he tells the Philippians, is the one that's above all names, not yours. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not your name that people are going to bow down to one day. It's not your name that all the angels are going to just fall on their faces. It's not your name that this whole world is going to be changed and, and be made into what it always was meant to be. It's not your name that is going to, going to where all the billions of people who have gone before are going to fall on their faces and worship. It's not your name. It's the name of Jesus. And that's the name, Philippian Church, Seacoast Vineyard, that we gather around. There is something special about that name. And lastly... There's something special about words. That's why saying it. Verse 11, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is something special about words. Acknowledging it. Saying it. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God, the Father. When you say Jesus, can we say his name? Jesus. I mean, it, it, to me, we can be having the toughest time with one another, but if we can even just zero in on who he is, Say his name. Remember what he's done for all of us and go, we all want to serve him. He's our hero. He's our Lord. And, and say Jesus. It brings it back to square one. Why we all started down this road because of his love and his lordship calling on us. As a matter of fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that without words, you, you know, you... You won't even know you're saved. You won't know it. Listen to this, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Something happens when you say the name. When you speak it with words. If you are a follower of Jesus. Or if you begin your journey today with him. You should bless yourself and say the name. <laughs> you should say I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in him. Because there is life in that. And something changes when we say it. So. Paul motivates this church in Philippi with the best example that he has and that of Jesus Christ. And he comes right back to square one and that it's his name that is glorious. It's his name that needs to be worshipped. Today's communion Sunday. And I thought after this topic, 
it would be better to take communion at the end because there is no more beautiful picture of the serving of Jesus uh, than this, than communion. You should have received one. If you didn't, if you'll hold your hand up and they'll come by and give you one, a packet, a communion packet. Just everybody's welcome to take communion here. We we don't have a closed table. Uh, Everyone is welcome. And uh, I'm going to explain it to you. Those of you who, many, most in our church have a Catholic background, so this is a little new to you, these little packets. Um, but inside the packet is a piece of bread, and then there's juice on the other side. And if you just peel back that top, both of them are right there. You see, Jesus sat with his best friends on the very night that he was betrayed, and he served them. He served them as he was about to be arrested, to be beaten, to be tortured and hung on that cross, naked before all the world, the Son of God. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He gives it to his friends that night. He takes the wine, he lifts up the cup, and he blesses it and he offers it to his friends. He also, that night, you know, he took a towel and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed their feet. The Son of God. How's that for emptying yourself and serving? The Son of God who has been around for eternity, a part of creating everything we know, humbles himself by getting on his hands and knees and wiping the dirt away from his friend's feet. So let's stand, guys. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.